the beam is not lit tonight as the Kings fall 133-124 against the Bucks in one of the more entertaining games of the season. As the Kings went toe-to-toe with the best team in the NBA, I truly believe that's what the Bucks are, and they have the best record in the NBA. And they showed why. Because the Kings, they were hanging tough for most of this game, and then the Bucks just pulled away slightly at the end. And it was really just, the, the Kings had to play perfect in that fourth quarter to be able to win, and they didn't. Fox made a few bad plays, turning it over, plus a few defensive miscues. You know, there was a Lyles bad shot in there. Uh, You know, a few other just plays that you might be able to get away with against another team. But when you're playing the Bucs, I mean, they were scoring on every possession, pretty much. And there's not much you can do to stop it. When Chris Middleton is hitting every shot from outside, when Brooke Lopez can't miss from outside, it's impossible to win because Giannis goes for 46 points. And, I mean, the Kings were throwing bodies at him, but almost not even enough. And there's just nothing you can do. And he hit two for two from three, went six for seven from the line. He was knocking everything down. There's just not not much you can do because Giannis is just Giannis. And Brooke Lopez was hitting threes, and he was also doing spin moves into no-look passes. I mean, these bucks are insanely good. And so I think everything we really saw from the Kings is extremely impressive, because I don't think anyone's thinking that the Kings are the best team in the league and that they don't have flaws. You can, you can obviously see they have flaws. They, I mean, no one has someone who can guard Giannis, but the Kings especially don't have anyone with that kind of size. And I'm just personally glad that the Bucks are in the Eastern Conference and not the Western Conference. And then to cheer me up at the end of the game, Trail Isles got into a fight with Brooke Lopez. I feel like that was the battle of two extremely underrated players right there. They both got ejected. Trail Isles got into it he was trying to get the ball from Giannis. He pushed Giannis. Brooke Lopez stepped up to him, and then Trey pushes him in the face, and Brooke Lopez grabs him around the head. And a scuffle ensued, and I loved it. It cheered me up after a few, you know, bad plays down the stretch that gave this game to the Bucks. And Trey Lyles might get suspended for that. I don't know. But both him and Brooke Lopez got ejected. I don't see Brooke Lopez getting any type of suspension, but you never know. But Brooke Lopez, it was a miracle that he even got to that point without a technical because he was yelling at the refs the entire game. I don't know how he didn't get a technical before that. But when was the last time we saw the Kings get into you know, a chippy battle against the team, especially against the best team in the NBA? I feel like that shows how far the Kings have truly come when they're getting into fights at the end of games, because it was a chippy game. It was an insanely physical game. And so I I like it from Trey Lyles. The Kings started this game perfectly, knocking down shots. Giannis wasn't even playing defense out there. He was just letting Barnes shoot wide open shots the whole time. And if Barnes was knocking down, like if he was actually like really locked in, then 
the Kings honestly could have blown the Bucks out because Giannis wasn't even guarding him. But, you know, Barnes missed a few, so he went three for eight from three. The Kings were on fire from three early, and they needed to be. And they were not, they, they were scared to go inside against Brooke Lopez. There was a, you could tell no one wanted to go up with a shot against Brooke Lopez down low. But it didn't matter in that first quarter, first half, because they were getting so many open looks. They ended up making 21 out of 50 threes and were, had an even better percentage in the first half. And then the Bucks, you could tell they, they definitely locked in a little bit more in the second half. Also, the Kings missed a few shots. And then the Bucks just started hitting more threes after they didn't hit really any, any threes in that first quarter. I think they went one for seven. It was funny, though, after the Kings were up 6-0 after they went 2-4 for four from 3. I think they made their first 2. And then Giannis blows by someone kind of in transition. And Herder doesn't step up. He's not there to help right away. And so Giannis gets an easy layup or dunk. And Mike Brown just comes running onto the court as he calls the timeout. Like, he looked so pissed. He was so pissed at Herder. And that's why I love Mike Brown. He's just immediately calls the timeout after one bucket from the Bucks because Herder didn't step up to help. And that's the type of accountability that Mike Brown brings to this team and why the culture is shifting for this team. That first half was very fun. The Kings couldn't stop Giannis, but they were stopping everyone else. No one was really hitting shots for the Bucks. Middleton really wasn't in the game in the first half, and then he ended with 31, so that kind of tells you the story of the second half. But Sabonis was just dominating in that first half, and he took 23 field goal attempts in this game, hit 11 for 23, which, I mean, I can't remember ever seeing Sabonis attempt 23 shots and it's because he in that first half he truly was dominating inside and he was dominating Brooke Lopez because it doesn't matter that Brooke Lopez is like a defensive player of the year front runner we've seen this from Sabonis time after time where he likes going against the bigger centers he doesn't like playing against a Nas Reed a Montrez Harrell he likes going against the Brooke Lopez's of the NBA because he can body up to them, take away their ability to uh, jump and block the shot, and then just finish right over them. Sabonis so ended up with 23 points, 15 assists, and 17 rebounds while only turning it over once. And he had zero fouls in the first half, which was huge. Ended with three fouls, but zero fouls in the first half means he can play 39 minutes. And I said Sabonis had 17 rebounds. 10 of them were offensive. He was working so hard out there. And the best example that I saw was, well, actually there were two. One where he got hit by, I think it was Bobby Portis in the throat. Went to the floor, was like on the floor for a bit. But then the play was going on on the other end. So he sprints down the other end and takes a charge from Giannis. Like he had just gotten hit right in the throat. And then he goes and takes a charge against one of the biggest, strongest, fastest guys in the entire league. And then the Kings were actually able, in the second quarter, I think it was Lyles, took a charge against Giannis. So that had two pretty early fouls on Giannis that 
made him go to the bench and the Kings capitalized off that. And then there was another play that might be my favorite play all season. And it was just great ball movement into an open three. They missed the three. Sabonis offensive rebound into more ball movement. Another open three. Sabonis offensive rebound. He gives it to Monk. Monk takes the screen, patiently waits until a gap opens up, feeds it to Sabonis inside for the easy layup. It was just a perfect possession because they got three, like two wide open three-point looks. And it's like, okay, you miss them. But then Sabonis just dominating the offensive glass and then getting rewarded because Malik Monk showed really good patience to be able to find Sabonis inside. The Bucks definitely tightened up a little off, uh, defensively in the second half and weren't allowing as many open looks. Also, Fox was taking so many... He took 12 threes in this game. More than half of his shots were threes, and he hit five of them, to be fair. But so many bad off-the-dribble shots from him. It was weird. He also made a few mistakes uh, in the fourth quarter, like I already mentioned. But he still ended with 35 points. And had the only only positive plus minus for a starter. But I don't think that really tells you anything. I think that just tells you that when he was going to the bench, it was maybe when uh, Giannis wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a bad game from Fox, but it was just that we needed him to be perfect to be able to beat the Bucks In the fourth quarter, the Kings, they stayed in the game for a lot of that fourth quarter, but it was just all offense in the fourth, which is not something you normally see. Normally, it's like the first quarter that's the highest scoring for both teams. In the fourth quarter, you know, it's more defensive, but that was not the case here. And Kevin Herter went off in that fourth quarter. He could not miss. He set a career high with eight threes. He went eight for 11 from three. I think, I can't remember exactly how many points he scored in that fourth, but it was at least 17. I don't know if he got more after that. And he ended with 28 points on the game. He just could not miss from three. And so we went with a closing lineup of Fox, Herder, Barnes, Lyles, Sabonis. Uh, and I think that's probably going to be the pretty standard closing lineup. And then you swap in whoever's hot between Monk and Herder. Because Keegan can't defend. It's I mean, he just gets exposed against better teams, better players. And... Missed a couple open threes. He made one to start the game, but then, you know, when he's not going off from the three-point line, then especially against a team with Giannis, like we saw against the Suns when they have multiple weapons, the Bucks have so many weapons, and even if they just had Giannis, it's still it's Giannis. You can't have a defensive liability out there as at one of your forward spots because Kevin Herter's not a great defender, but... He's never really going to be guarding Giannis or tasked with like contributing to the defense on Giannis as much as a guy at the four spot is. So they put Trey Lyles in there to contribute more to the defense on Giannis, but also still like Trey can still stay in front of a guy like Chris Middleton. Keegan gets caught with his hands reaching in a lot. And he got called for one that was a, a three-point shot foul, although it definitely should have been an offensive foul. But still, the the idea remains that Keegan just he gets caught with his hand reaching in a lot. 
and then he just can't stay in front of people laterally. Kessler Ed Edwards had his 18 minutes in this game. He didn't score. I thought he had a solid defensive game, but was 0 for 2 from 3. So with him, I mean, it's the same thing with Casey Paula. He's just, he can't be a guy who other teams can leave wide open. He has to be able to make threes at an okay rate, at like a league average rate to be able to stay out there and or get more minutes. And so I thought his defense was fine, but it's not like he could stop Giannis at all. Like he's a guy who I would have liked to see maybe matched up on Chris Middleton more. But speaking of defense from the bench, Metu saw a good amount of minutes trying to guard Giannis and that went extremely poorly. Not much else to say. Well, actually, no, I do have more to say about Metu. He took some horrible shots. He went back to old Metu. Took, I mean, he took one three, made it, but still, I'd rather him not take that shot. Then he took another three that gifted the Bucks a two for one for no reason. Then he took like a step back mid-range jumper. That was horrible. And then he tried to dunk on Brooke Lopez. That went horribly. I mean, just a really bad offensive game from Metu. And, like, defensively, obviously, he had a really bad game, but what are you going to do? It's Giannis. But, I mean, I thought he was, like, he was especially bad against Giannis. Just allowing him to go baseline on him a million times and dunk the ball. And then the last guy to mention from this game is Davion Mitchell. And all I'm going to say is I didn't notice him at all. He did nothing offensively, and I didn't really even notice him defensively. So, not much to say there. I think the Kings showed a lot of promise in this game and showed that they do belong at the top of the NBA, but not quite the the top of the top because the Bucks are definitely just on another level. The Kings have, you know, some great players, but they don't have a Giannis player. And that was just, that's the difference in this game. Giannis is the difference in this game, and that's pretty clear. Because Sabonis was dominating offensively, and yes, it shifted the Bucks' defense a little bit, but then when you watch Giannis dominate, it's like five guys trained in on him. And if Giannis just had the Kings shooting around him, he probably would have had a lot more assists than he had. It was kind of nice to watch that game because I came into it expecting the Kings to lose, and it was just kind of a, like you got nothing to lose in this game. And... So it was nice to have a, a relaxing game where even when the Kings were up, I'm like, yeah, the Bucks are going to come back and make this a game, no doubt. And they did, and they ended up pulling away late. And really, it just would have been kind of a cherry on top of a really good stretch for the Kings if they were able to beat the Bucks. But they weren't. So we move on. We move on to a four-game road trip, starting in Chicago against a Bulls team that is fighting to stay in the play-in in the East a team that has been kind of the opposite of what everyone expected in that their offense is horrible and their defense is really good. And they've been kind of the opposite of the Kings in that they've been horrible in clutch games, clutch situations, and the Kings have been one of the best teams in clutch situations. And a lot of that has to do with DeMar DeRozan just not hitting the shots that he hit last season. Last season, the Bulls were one of the better clutch teams because DeMar hit like a bunch of game winners 
but he hasn't been doing that this season. I feel like this is the type of game where we may need a guy like Kessler Edwards to D up on either Levine or DeRozan. And this should be a win. Like the, the Bulls are not a good team. This should be an easy win for the Kings. And sometimes I look at the ESPN matchup predictor, right? And it shows the percentages for like the, you know, how much it thinks each team, like what percentage chance it gives each team for winning. And it has the Bulls at 60.5%. And that's odd to me because the Bulls are just, they're not a good team. They did just recently crush the Nuggets, but the Nuggets have been really bad lately. So I don't know how much to read into that. I mean, I, I think the Bulls have been better as of late since they they picked up Patrick Beverly. They've been a little better, shown a little more fight. But it's a team without a lot of um, outside shooting. And so if you take away DeMar or Levine, then there's just not much offense on this team. You'll see, you know, a few Vucevic post-ups. But it's kind of odd because, like, I don't know, watching the Bulls, they don't really get Vucevic involved in the offense um, normally. And then they'll just be like, OK, now it's now it's a possession where we give him the ball. It's not fluid like the Kings offense. I mean, not many offenses are, but it's not fluid at all like that. And so I feel like the Kings should be able to just take away one of Damar or Levine because of the lack of outside shooting from the Bulls, and then I don't have any worries about the Kings' offense, even if the you know the Bulls have a good statistically statistically good defense. Anyways, that is it for this episode of the Real Report. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, make sure to leave a rating and a review. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore the Real Report. And I will see you guys next time to recap the game against the Bulls. Peace.